Lord, I pray that you will be in my words and in our hearts and minds this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. What, I wonder, is your personal Blue Planet 2 moment? What, in the same way um, that for millions of uh, television viewers in this country and around the world, um, the recent images uh, that we saw of our oceans full of plastic waste killing off marine species one after another, what recently has made you sit bolt upright and take notice? What, I wonder, has recently had the power to shock you to your senses? We're so used to the uh, near-constant news flow of natural disasters, of man-made catastrophes and political shenanigans, that it seems these days to take something really extraordinary, really extreme, to have this sort of dramatic impact on us. With 2,000 years distance and without um, close uh, social or political or cultural connections to the world of the Bible, the impact of its events or its words can sometimes be lost on us. Even, uh, excuse me, it's even sometimes be lost on us if they are not explained. But make no mistake about it. If you were a first century Jew, listening to Jesus saying to the Pharisees the words of John chapter 10, this is your blue planet two moment, so to speak. There's no question that you take notice, that you sit bolt upright at this point. Why is that the case? Well, the passage in John's Gospel that we've just heard comes in a sequence of uh, interactions between Jesus and the Pharisees, the super-religious of the first century uh, Jewish society. In chapter 8, we hear uh, the story of the woman caught in adultery, and we hear Christ's challenge to those preparing to stone her, uh, that the one who has no sin in them may cast the first stone at her. The story ends with Jesus telling the woman to go and sin no more. Who is this man who has the authority to say this to the woman in this way? Who is this man the Pharisees and we are left wondering? Then in chapter 9, we see Jesus heal the blind man at the pool of Siloam. And straight after the healing, the Pharisees question the man and even his parents about what's happened and who this man who had healed him might be. So as we come to today's reading in chapter 10, which is addressed to some of the Pharisees themselves, there are already questions being raised about the identity of this man. This man, Jesus He has the authority to tell the woman that she needs sin no longer. And then the authority to heal the blind man of his sight. 
Who is he? Well, Jesus starts, as he so often does, by telling at the beginning of chapter 10 a parable. A story through which um, he means to illustrate or illuminate his point. The parable, in this case, of the good shepherd and the sheep. But on this occasion, it doesn't work. For all the Pharisees' learning, Jesus' figure of speech goes straight over their heads. We can almost hear John becoming um, completely exasperated with them. In verse 6, he says very bluntly, the Pharisees didn't understand what he was telling them. But the implications are already there in the story of the woman and of the blind man. And now in the parable itself, that this man, Jesus, is fundamentally different from the rest of humanity. And now he makes it completely, 100% plain to those Pharisees. As as highly learned followers of Jewish law and scripture, they'd have straight away picked up that when Jesus is talking about sheep and their shepherd, he's echoing the imagery of David, the king of Israel. David as the poet of the Psalms. The people of Israel, God's people, are the sheep. The Lord is the shepherd. And here in verse 7, Jesus drops what um, to the Pharisees uh, would have been their blue planet moment, their bombshell. I am the gate for the sheep. And then again in verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus makes the most extraordinary claim Initially in a parable, and then straight out. He makes a claim that he himself is the person through whom each man, woman, and child is able to achieve salvation. Through whom they can have eternal life. As Paul writes in chapter 5 of his letter to the Romans, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. It's through this gate, an image of an opening made in a barrier, the barrier that is the sin and death, that are the defining characteristics of the whole of humanity, the whole of creation, fallen as we all are. It's through this gate that we're able to pass um, past to be reunited with our heavenly father as a consequence of the person of Jesus Jesus crucified buried and resurrected the gate for the sheep it's through faith in Christ that we have access once again to the person of God that we can speak to him that we can receive from him, that we can, um, as I spoke about a couple of weeks ago, wrestle with him and rest in him. So first in verse 7, Jesus makes a claim. 
And second, in verse 10, Jesus makes a commitment. And Jesus' commitment, his promise to us is this. I have come that they, the sheep, all his audience by extension, that they may have life and have it to the full. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What is this life? What does a full life look like? Well, I think, first of all, it's um, important to, um, to look back at the original Greek of the text to shed a bit of light on what this life is. And the Greek word that's translated into English as life is zoe, as in the girl's name. Unlike the other Greek word for life, which is bios, from which we get um, biology, um, that has a sense of life as a period of time, a number of years for which something has lived, um, or existence in its most, most general sense. Zoe, however, signifies far more a depth and an intensity of living. Jesus is talking here about a real intensity of living. He's talking, above all, about a spiritual life. He's committing, he's promising to his listeners then and to us now that precisely because he's come, because he came to the earth as fully man as well as fully God, and because he was crucified to pay for our sins, and because he was raised to life. Precisely because he's come, we can know through him a true fullness of life. What does this life to the full look like? It's not the apparent fullness of life that contemporary and secular uh, culture, that culture of consumerism and, and grabbing every experience that we can would have us believe. It's not stacked with possessions that advertising consistently exhorts us that we need. All of the must-haves that we're bombarded with, the must-have car, the must-have shoes, the must-have holiday. It's not that at all. In his words here, addressed to the Pharisees then and to us now, Jesus commits to us. He promises to us that we can have our lives filled and that the way to this filling of our lives is through him, through following in the way in which he directs us, And indeed, which he enables us to take by being himself the open gate through which we access our Heavenly Father. Following Jesus means being one of those whom he calls, one of his disciples. We heard a short time ago from Simon and Helen about how Um, God has called them, the progression in their lives over the last 20 years from the first moments when they came into St. Giles to this 
uh, eve of Simon's um, calling to ordained ministry. That's a journey of discipleship. Discipleship is following a life lived in the shape of Christ. Following a life lived in the Holy Spirit. The active presence of God at work in our lives. And in the lives of others as well through us. Following a life lived in all its aspects as a life of worship to God. Because that's what we're ultimately called to do, to live our whole lives as an act of worship to him, our heavenly father. This is life. This is Zoe to the full. But I'd also um, like to draw out one additional point from Jesus' words in today's reading that I believe um, is quite frequently missed. Um, but is very important for his message to us. We've seen that Jesus, first of all, makes a huge claim about who he is. And then Jesus makes to each one of us a commitment, a promise, about a life lived with him. But I'd also like to suggest that there's a third element to this passage that is sometimes overlooked Um, particularly because everyone jumps to to verse 11 afterwards and Jesus' image of himself as the good shepherd. And this uh, third C, um, to go with Jesus' claim and Jesus' commitment, is Jesus' challenge to each one of us. Look at verse 9 carefully again. Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The pen to which Jesus is the gate and through which the sheep enter is, I think we can safely assume, um, intended to represent the kingdom of heaven. But the sheep pass in and they pass out of that gate. And the sheep, moreover, don't get fed in the pen. They get fed in the pasture, the pasture that is outside the pen. Outside, in the image that Jesus uses, the walls of safety. To me, it seems um, it's Jesus' intention to say that there should be an element of risk to the way in which the sheep, to the way the way in which each of us as Christ's followers are to live. A good parallel perhaps can be found in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. The servant there who is celebrated by their master is not the one who buries his talent for safekeeping, but the one who uses it in the world, who grows it out in the world. Our church families are, uh, I hope, and we, and we saw this uh, earlier on in the, services, uh, the service, great places to be. Amazing fellowships, as we heard, um, develop over many, not necessarily 20, but many years. We grow in our faith together. 
And there are special times of worship and of prayer when we come closer to God's presence together. But what's the point of it all if we don't go outside these four walls? Or indeed, the four walls of St. Mary's Loudoun. God has poured into each one of us his blessings, his promise of life to the full. Not just so that we can sit with those amongst our friends and feel wonderful and comfy and perhaps even slightly holy that we know the way through his gate. God has poured out his blessings on us precisely so that we may pour out those blessings on others. Jesus gives to us his riches, his fullness of life. Not that we might keep that for ourselves, but that we might share his good news. As we're told by him in Matthew chapter 10, freely you have received, freely give. We need, led by him, the one who, as the passage tells us, knows our names and who shows us where to find the best nourishment. We need to get outside that sheep pen. Our great joy should be that each one of us is able, if we live in Christ, to show the people whom we meet every day what is the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. What is the difference that Jesus can make to their lives, will make to their lives, if only they open their hearts to him and let him in? This difference is the fullness of life that Jesus speaks of here in John 10. It's amazing the difference that being differently can make. Some of us perhaps aren't very good at speaking with others about our faith. If that's you, don't be discouraged. Because living your life to the full, showing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your home, in your workplace, and wherever you go, that will make people notice. They will see something different and attractive in the way that you live your life. The peace that you have at its centre. The joy that you radiate. The love that you demonstrate. And they will want to know more, I'm sure. And then, perhaps, you can tell them about the difference that Jesus has made to you. And how he can make the same transformation in their lives as well. So my message to all of you today is be encouraged that the claim that Jesus makes, that he is the gate for the sheep, the way to God the Father, is as real and as powerful today as it ever was. Live your life to the full in Christ, sure in his commitment to you and to every person who follows him. And by accepting the challenge, 
from him to take risks for his gospel with those whom you encounter every day of your lives. Be excited about the transformation to those people's lives here in West Bridgeford, over the river in Loudoun, throughout our diocese, throughout our land, throughout our world, that you will make and see made for Jesus' sake. In his holy name. Amen. We're going to join together in worship again. Dave and the band will.